0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield, and welcome to the Mizogart Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Crazy. Hello and welcome to episode number 23 of the Mizogart Podcast. This week I'm taking you over to Peckham into the studio of Benjamin Murphy. Benjamin produces beautiful, almost seductive drawings using electrical tape as his medium. I saw Benjamin's work a couple of years ago and when I first saw it, I thought they were woodcut prints. And although his work is generally smaller than A1, he has done a large work for Amnesty International that was about 10 feet tall. And he took this method several steps further when he produced a portrait that was nine stories high. In this episode, he talks of the Delphian Gallery, which him and Nick Thompson are co-directors and co-founders. They have got an exhibition on at the moment, but I think it'll just be closing as this podcast comes out. But the Delphian Gallery has got its own Instagram page, so pop over there for more information about up-and-coming shows. And talking of galleries, Benjamin has got his own room at the Saatchi Gallery at the moment, where not only has he got some framed artworks, he's applied his tape to an entire wall. It's in the same room that Carrie Reichart and Bob Osborne had their Cash's King show a little while ago. They have a second book coming out, and they've got the great idea of asking different artists to curate a couple of pages. So when I asked Bob and Carrie if they would be part of my face value show, they asked me if I'd curate a couple of pages in their book under the name of face value. Of course I jumped to the chance. So Lee Ainsworth and I are doing a couple of notes each that will hopefully make it into the second Cash's King book. If you look at the first book they brought out, you'll find me on the very last page. Anyway, back to episode 23 with Benjamin Murphy. What you're about to hear is the second take, because like a fool, on the first one, we was chatting for about five minutes and I hadn't even pressed record, which wasn't a good impression I left on Mr. Murphy, although we do both joke about it at the end of this episode. But come in hear for yourself in the studio of Benjamin Murphy. I'm in the studio with Benjamin Murphy and I'm going to go straight in with the seven questions that I have. How would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work?
2: Um, So I suppose I'd say that I'm an artist first and foremost, although I do a few different things. Um, And my artwork is monochromatic figurative line drawing um, using the medium of electrical tape. So it's just a rudimentary standard issue insulation tape. um, And I cut that to thin strips and draw the lines with it as if it's any other medium. And then um, I'll trim off on any excess and I'll block in areas and cut away. Um, And the words are quite... um, They're quite striking. There's a lot of detail, um, a lot of floral elements and patterns, and they're kind of quite decorative, which is a bit of a dirty word, but um, I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, see, I don't don't mind that at all. There's, There's a lot of words that are deemed dirty words but in, in, in art and yeah. I don't think like Kitch yeah Kitch has made a real comeback now and I mean I, th- I think that with the, the graffiti guys doing what they've done in the last yeah. 10 years or or even yeah. longer they've just sort of pulled down all the barriers I think anyway yeah. I mean there's I know there's still a few areas that are uh, sort of unventured but the craft you know craft yeah. is coming into fine art there's there's mm. sort of um yeah I think the barriers are coming down and it's uh, I don't think it's a bad thing really no where did you get the idea for working with the tape Um, so I was doing an MA at
2: Salford in in contemporary fine art and that was all theory so I was kind of I needed an outlet for my creativity that wasn't um, just writing so I um, I just started I was just doing a, a lot of drawings and after a night out um, me and a few friends went back to our mate Beth's house and one of her housemates started drawing on his bedroom wall with this roll of tape that he'd nicked from Halfords and then I did one and then and then I started sneaking around my university you nicked from Halfords well I was just using it <laughs> so yeah, in theory, yeah. yeah. sorry uh, Mr Halford uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah but then so I started sneaking around my university and just doing them at night in corridors and stuff
1: um, I mean, I've said I've said to you before that they're reminiscent of woodcuts to me. Hmm. Um, and you said yourself that um, a lot of people have had that same thought. The eyes—you don't—you don't put the pupils in your work, No. had you, and then decided not to because you didn't.
2: Uh, I had, but I didn't decide not to. So basically, I did. Um, I mean, obviously, at some point I did. But oh, um, well, yeah, just carry
1: on. So. Yeah, no, that's. What, well, that's what I like about going yeah. into the artist's studio. Yeah. I of my drilling next door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, that doesn't bother me, yeah. really. I mean, I've done them outside. I've done them in graveyards, right, parks, nice. um, cafes, bars. Yeah. And the way I look at it is that this recording yeah. um, instrument is a friend I've brought along. So, yeah. you know, if I would have brought my friend along and he was sat here listening to me and you talk about yeah. art or your work, it's just what... Yeah. Yeah, so I don't, I don't mind it. I know... Yeah, no, so it's so all good, good with don't. me.
2: What was I saying now? Oh, the pupils. So, I I did a self-portrait, which is, I think, the last self-portrait I've ever done. It was about eight years ago. Um, no, sorry, less. So, like, seven years ago. Um... And I just unintentionally left them to last and then just decided I'm just
1: not going to do them. Because it doesn't... Normally, I mean, I've, I've seen many paintings, drawings, with, without eyes, and they do look very odd. Yeah. They, these... I don't know whether it's the medium that you use, but it, they, they look fine. Yeah. like Because initially it looks like the eyes are shut, don't they, mm-hmm. you know? I don't even...
2: You know, when I draw eyes now, I don't even notice the pupil. Like, my mind just naturally doesn't go there. Um, yeah, I, I like it that they haven't. Yeah, it was ne- it was never a, a conscious choice. I mean, it must have been some level, but I didn't draw them, and then I just stopped, kept on not drawing them. Um, and it wasn't some conceptual decision. Mm-hmm. It was just... Um, it, was, it was kind of mindless, really. Yeah. And there's a lot of theories as to why I don't draw them, and I think that's the interesting part hearing why people think I don't draw them mm. um, because obviously they're then kind of betraying their own subconscious um, and kind of in, in explaining why they think I don't um, so there's a lot of theories I suppose to some
1: degree they're all probably true the the ones that that's in your studio at the moment are what would they be 16 inches 18 inches yeah, possibly like that is that as, is that as Large as you work? No. So they're they're
2: actually not tape even anyway. Um Oh well they are they print so no, drawings. That's, so that's black thread hand stitched into paper? Oh wow. Um Okay. Yeah, so they were for a show at Beers a couple of years ago. It was a works on paper show and i I decided I didn't want to just do an ink drawing on some paper, so I thought what else oh, can I do? And and with the tape and with the woodcuts and stuff, the the line I get is never perfectly fluid. Um and so I picked the stitching paper because oh, nice. that, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that replicates the kind of slightly disjointed line.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, that is nice. I like that.
2: Okay. So, yeah, no, I do do bigger. Um, at the moment, I'm kind of. I don't really work in series, but um, the ones I'm doing at the moment or have been doing for last year are all of a similar size. I'm not sure why
1: that is. But. Is it just because that's the, the size that you're comfortable working, do you think? Uh, no, it's actually easier the bigger you go because
2: the tape will bend slightly, but not very much. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure why I do the size that I do at the moment. Um,
1: and it's predominantly figurative. And is it always the female form that you... Yeah. Yeah, whenever, uh, and that was
2: never a conscious choice. It was just something I fell into. But yeah, it is more, than, more often than not.
1: I mean, you, you say it's not a conscious choice, but have you ever th- thought of doing a male and then thought better of it, or...? Uh, well, I
2: have, I have drawn men. Uh, it's not that I don't ever do it. Um, I suppose it's just the fact that I want my artworks to be as beautiful as possible. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a quite a, There's an ugly
1: element to them. Um, but they are... I think, I think even because of the process you use... It is quite a delicate and... Yeah. Yeah, it's a very delicate process, isn't it? Yeah, and so for me, the most beautiful, naturally occurring
2: form is the, the female form, yeah. which is why I draw that. I mean, obviously, until I walked in today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, once I you... You've <laughs> run out of tape, as I was, I mean. Yeah, the, the female form definitely works. I, I, I couldn't see him being...
2: Yeah, and I think... The, the, it. I mean, it might be a cliche to say but I think the female form sits better with the kind of
1: floral decorative elements. And it is, it is I, a very, that... a very seductive um, material, or, or the, the method used. The results are very um, seductive. I mean, especially that one we we just we spoke of earlier. The um, safe word. Safe uh, yeah. word. I mean, that was. I, I don't know. The, what you thought of that one. Um But the, the detail in it, it, it just, it was quite different from a lot of the others that I've seen of yours. Yeah, well actually, so, um
2: I try and keep, I try and make it so that the female form is like active in their environment and they're not on display for the viewer in, mm. in a kind of sexual way. So, although they may be nude or semi-nude, it's not a
1: sexualized nudity because it's, it's it's not on display. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't say it's seductive because of yeah. the clothing she was wearing. I mean, just just yeah, the feel so, of, of your work. Anyway. Yeah,
2: but so I suppose the reason why Safe Word looks slightly different is because that's the furthest I'll probably go. Yeah. In the kind of sultry. Yeah, I don't think it aspect. needs to go any further. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And that's,
1: pro- that's probably why it sort of stood out because it was yeah. it was quite sort of um, outside of what you would what yeah. you would normally do. Often I try and.
2: I try and just kind of make it look like the. I mean, although they may be like nude or semi-nude, I try and make it look like they're just kind of hanging out in mm. their own environments and they're not on display for anyone.
1: And what do you do with, like, my own mind going when you pick out the what would be the negative yeah. part? Have you ever been tempted of making a negative image? Of, I do sometimes.
2: Oh, you I. do. So more often than not, whatever I cut out, I'll save if it's if it's salvageable. And sometimes, within one artwork, there'll be, like, the positive in one place, and then the bits that I've taken out will become a nice. negative somewhere else. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and where would you keep those? Like, would they, would they be stuck on glass? No, well, or so I've
2: got, there's this, essentially, sticker paper. I've got a folder. Oh, yeah, yeah. A folder that I slide sheets of sticker
1: paper in, and it's just full of things like that you're doomed for life, aren't you? <laughs> with your own method. It, it will be there for you because every, every one you make, you're making another one yeah. to, to put aside, aren't you? It's good, though. It's quick. I did I did just mention as well that you've got several different hats that I see you wearing, one being an artist, writer, um, gallery director, lecturer, and podcaster. I know you said that you, you see that the podcaster's in, in the same boat as the, the writing. Mm. When did you first get into the the written side?
2: Um, well, when I was doing my MA, it was all it was all theory as opposed to practice. So I just started reading, um, reading and writing, and uh, and then kind of got, kind of got hooked on it. And it's it's a creative act in a in a different way. Mm. Even even when you're just, I think the the kind of critique is a creative act almost there's a a great um oscar wilde i mean it's written as if it's a dialogue between two people but it's actually i think it's just oscar wilde just Mm. writing an essay but then thinly veiling it yeah as um a dialogue to make it more readable or more uh, um more interesting for people who don't read essays but it's called the critic as artist and um he basically talks about how the the of critique can kind of it's it's a separate but connected creative act mm. that um, that kind of works with the artwork, um, and and I think I agree with that. I think um, also it's it's just incredibly beneficial for I think all artists would agree that it's it's impossible to talk or write about your own work, um, but it's much easier to talk or write about other people's work. Definitely. So definitely. So um, it's, I mean, it's helped greatly with, with talking and writing about my own stuff. When when was your first interest in art? Um, Quite late, really. I mean, I always kind of was a little bit creative, but I was never, I never had this dream to be an artist or, or anything like that. I did art GCSE because it was the easiest and most fun thing. Yeah, that's pretty much how I got yeah. into it. And then, yeah, and then my art teacher kind of forced me to go to art college and then, I went to university just because I didn't want to join the real world, so I picked... I actually did graphic design, which I wasn't very good at. Was um, that in Salford? Yeah. Uh, I did graphic design I wasn't very good at it, didn't really like it. Um, and I did my MA just because I didn't want to join the real world and I wanted to stay at university. And your MA was... That was Salford as well, yeah. So I did that consecutively, so I did straight after the... Um, so I didn't have a break. I just went When did
1: you move down to London? 2012. So, well, it was
2: quite recent-ish, yeah. really. So that was straight after my master's, um, moved down and my first show was, I think August 2012. Um, what made you want to come? I was managing cocktail bars in Manchester and doing my MA and I was toying with the idea of doing a PhD. Um, and then I kind of thought either I kind of moved to London and try and get involved with the art scene or I just stay here, just run bars and, and I just kind of spur of the moment just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to move to London. Yeah. And then within a week I was Did here. Did you know anyone down here? Uh, I mean, I knew a couple people, but not really. Yeah. Um, and I just moved down on a whim almost. Um, best
1: decision I've ever made, actually. But, yeah. And when you first get, started getting interested in, in art, can you remember the sort of artists that were influential to you at the time?
2: Uh, yeah, the first one um, was MC Escher who I'm not such a huge fan of now I mean his work's good but um, it's not really what I look for
1: in art anymore but um, well i found that when I was talking to a a lot of a lot of people have had MC Escher and who was the other one Dali as their entrance into the art world maybe because it's quite curious and
2: yeah and it's very easily digestible Mm. I've I've never been a fan of Dali Uh, I still kind of like Escher Um, but yeah but that was so when I was doing uh art oh, GCSE I was just I was a bit of a nightmare at school not in any major way but um, so my tutor just just made me sit in a in a corridor essentially for um, for about three or four weeks on my own and um, she put these two bottles on a mirror two like quite ordinary bottles on a mirror and then I just had to sit there and draw them for I think four weeks and there was this Escher book there so I was just sat there either drawing them or reading that and, and that was the first time where I thought actually I do quite like this um, but when I moved to London I didn't didn't even think I want to be an artist um, I think it must have I mean I'm 30 now it must have taken me till I was about 22 maybe 23 to be like alright that's what I want to do now you've come a
1: long way in a short time really it's going alright I my, complain In yeah. my opinion anyway so that was going to be the next question when did you realise you wanted to be an artist Hmm. so it was after your masters
2: yeah I mean I did the masters mainly just because i didn't want to join the real world I wanted to yeah. stay state university where life was fun and easy <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> it's not a bad not a bad way to go yeah what piece have you created that you hold most dear hmm, that's a tough one uh, well to be honest
2: if a work of mine is more than a few months old that kind of Hate it, yeah. Um, just because you pick it apart. If, I'm a, I mean, every artist is a perfectionist, but if you look at one of your own works that's a little bit old, you're thinking about things you would do differently and and whatever, and, and your work's already progressed since then. Um, I suppose there's one, there's one that's kind of, I suppose, my most well known piece that was, um, Jealous did a print of it that was then exhibited at the Saatchi. Mm. It's quite like a striking, bold. Just a face basically yeah. surrounded by flowers. It's a portrait okay. of Ophelia from uh, Hamlet, the final scene of Ophelia from Hamlet. Um, and that's one that I did a couple of years ago. And I sold the original, but then I did prints of. Um, and it's, out of everything I've done, it's the one that has lasted the long time without me eventually hating it.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I, was, I was speaking to an artist, uh, Mila Alexander, earlier on this week. And she said that when she finishes a painting, she tries to sort of sell it as as quick as possible because she said she will sit there in the studio, and she will always find a fault in it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but she won't she won't ignore the fault. She will go and you know. And, and she said that like, like even if she's got paintings there that were unsold from a couple of years ago. Although mm. her technique has changed now, she will still go and work on on the. Yeah, other you one see, work.
2: I can't do that. So once once my pieces are done, I set them in a clear resin. So then I can't alter them yeah. anyway. Um,
1: Maybe I should recommend that to her. Hmm. With, with, with that question there, because it is quite a hard one to, to sort of get an answer to sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, if they, if they wasn't expecting something to happen and something yeah. happens on that journey within that artwork, that sometimes becomes their their sort of yeah. most treasured piece because it gives them a, a, a new contour to go yeah. down, you know? I suppose with my work, I'm not sentimental at
2: all and... For me, it's kind of about the process, really, rather than it is about the, the, the finished item. So, I mean, once they're done, they're kind of done for me. Mm. So, I mean, my favourite pieces that I've done, I've had no trouble selling, just because I want to kind of get them out of the way, so I've got place to do Do you put a videos. lot of
1: your work into print?
2: No. So I do... Because they are
1: perfect for it,
2: aren't they? I actually don't do prints of any of my tape drawings, or very rarely. Um... So I prefer to do um, an original for the pr- so say do a lino print or a woodcut where you have to create an original, essentially a plate yeah, that you then yeah. print from. So there's there's so the prints are the original. Yeah, almost. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the idea of taking a digital photograph of an image and then making that into a print. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, screen prints are kind of. I mean, there are there are times and places for that kind of print. And screen prints are like one step closer to the kind of hands-on, um, rudimentary, like old style of printing. Um, but yeah, I t- and I tend to do maybe one print a year. Um, anyway.
1: Delphian Gallery. Yeah. You started it with Nick Thompson. Yep. How did that come about?
2: Um, so we met in 2012, so... So my first show was 2012, but also my first solo show was 2012. So I moved quickly, I suppose. Um, but so he used to run a magazine that did a feature on me. Um, and we just met and we hung out. And and we started kind of unofficially curating each other's shows just because it's, it's, um, it's always useful to have another pair of eyes, especially one that, well, A, one that you trust, but B, one that um, won't hesitate to give you a very honest opinion on things because it's very easy for people to, you ask someone's opinion, they're like, oh, it's great. That's not very useful. Um, and our styles of working is very different as a photographer. So we started unofficially co-curating each other's shows and we've got very similar interests. And and we both kind of have the, um, are of the opinion that curation is is a creative act in itself. Mm. And in a similar way that an artist will use different, Pigments to create a painting. We approach curation as if we're using different paintings as the medium to create yeah, yeah, to yeah, create yeah, yeah. the show. So we curated. Well, we did one or two like little shows, like in my studio, for example. Um, and and I suppose we we saw that the the kind of paradigm, the kind of standard issue model gallery wasn't really doing it for us so we just decided we're not seeing the shows we want to be seeing or, or whatever so let's just do them ourselves um, and you've got one coming up soon, what
1: what, what date is that?
2: so 17th of um, January is um, a two person show with Kevin Perkins and Igor Moritz both very early career artists, are very exciting um, they've both got very well established personal voices already even though they haven't been painting long well not necessarily they haven't been painting long but they haven't been showing
1: long Um, I mean unfortunately this had come out after uh, after that well check out those two guys anyway and Um, you've got your own show coming up as well hmm. well,
2: so me and Nick have a two person show in San Francisco at Book and Job Gallery which is curated by Carson Lancaster Um, so as I say Nick is a photographer and I'm what you may call a painter so this is the first time we fully collaborate on a show so my works are going to be hung with his works but we're going to kind of approach it in a in a Delphian style curatorial way so we're going to hang works on top of each other we're going nice. to pair works nice. um, and play with how these two fairly disparate styles can will he's interact will work be in colour? no, black and white nice so he does do colour photography but um, for this show makes sense for it to be like and white like. um, but so the the kind of inherent similar similarities and differences are being embraced and played with in the show um, so that opens on uh, the 7th of
1: March um, yeah have you got anywhere where you go for inspiration or how do you find it um, I see I mean I see a lot of shows
2: Um, but I suppose the majority of my inspiration comes from literature, um, and in a fairly indirect way. So it's not that, um, I'll draw specific imagery from, from fiction, but it's that it kind of colors the way I approach a work. Mm. Um, but then as well as that, I see a lot of shows. Um, so I suppose, I mean, mainly literature, basically.
0: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile
1: Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? Sold!
0: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: That's what I'm saying. Um, See, I like, I like the way that you say that you your your ideas sort of are founded in literature your work is monochrome more or less painting and your favourite type of art is conceptual Hmm. it's as if they're sort of like three completely different worlds that that you dip your toe into yeah also I mean
2: I kind of get a lot of inspiration from seeing work I don't like Hmm. because I mean it's all well and good to go and see work you like and then try and replicate that but I get a lot from seeing artwork that I don't like because it I I guess I know what I don't want to do yeah Um,
1: yeah that that is a good way of of shaving a lot of um, stuff out of your practice yeah you're at UAL at the moment how have you been there
2: Uh, I kind of started in December so I'm an associate lecturer on um, the illustration visual media at M.A. Um, and I'm also going to be lecturing a little bit on the BA as well, but yeah, I haven't been there long. Actually, one of the, thing, one of the things that I'm kind of giving a class on on Monday is um, well, it's, it's kind of about the um, the essay, the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction by Walter Benjamin. But um, I'm kind of approaching that in in a in a way that I'm trying to instill in the students that critique is important, and you don't have to agree with everything you read. Um, I think because that essay is quite old, uh it's like around seventy years old, mm. he kind of well, I mean it was through no fault of his own, he was kind of before all of this like digital art and internet art and conceptual art almost and, and um thing so he talks about like the, the reproduction um diminishes the aura of the original, but in a lot of forms that art comes in now, there is no original. So I suppose I'm trying to show them that you don't have to agree with everything you read.
1: Yeah. How are they with critique of their own work? Uh, I mean, I'm not... Because I, I know a lot of people don't, don't appreciate it. I, I, I crave it, really.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, me too. Whenever, whenever someone comes to my show, I ask them for their favourite and their least favourite and I ask why.
1: Yeah, because like, like you just said, I'd rather hear the least yeah. favourite.
2: Yeah, I'm totally not precious and there's a lot of my works that I do that I hate. Mm. So, and um, yeah, I think it's the most useful thing that Definitely. you can um, like an honest critique from an outsider is just invaluable. And when I've been sat at my easel for eight hours a day, I can just get completely blind to something and then my girlfriend will come home and she'll be like, uh, is that arm a little bit too short? Yeah. Or too small and I'd go, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how did I not see yeah. that? But um from, and yeah, from the suppose, visual. yeah, and you stop seeing it as an arm, you see it as like a collection of lines. Yeah. yeah. Um Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's the most important thing, I think, in honest Critique.
1: You've got the the Delphian Gallery. If you could curate a show with you and five other artists, past and present, Mm -hmm. what would be your perfect group show, do you think? I suppose that
2: depends on if I'm trying to make one coherent show where all the artwork goes together, or if I'm just picking five artists. Well, I suppose my favourite artworks, that's maybe... a easier oh I don't know do I go paintings or well the first the first ones that popped to my head I'm just going to reel them off Rhythm Zero by Marina Ravandrich which if you don't know it is incredible it's um I think it was done 73 or something basically she stands in a gallery with a table with a plethora of objects on it things ranging from like olive oil to um a rose to a chain to a a knife a gun and a bullet there was a sign on the table that just said like Essentially, you can do whatever you want with any of these objects to me, and I will take full responsibility. In a similar way to "Cut Piece" by um, Yoko Ono, but I suppose one step further. Um, I think this may have been slightly earlier. Um, but so people would like um, say cut her clothes, or one guy sliced her neck with a scalpel and then drank Fuck. and then drank the blood. Um, another another guy put the bullet in the gun put it in her hand up to her own head and eventually a, a gallery uh, one of the gallery staff intervened and threw their gun out of the window so that's one work that um, although Is that, it's, it's horrible but it, it they could well have thought that it was a
1: dud or a yeah
2: yeah so it's, it's the most
1: powerful artwork I can think of who was the artist a few years ago who had loads of liquidisers with goldfish in each one. Oh yeah and he, he said that they're all live yeah. and if you want to get rid of a fish you can just press the button yeah I can't remember and someone pressed that the button great. and then it caused yeah it caused up upro- I think he was a German artist I think
2: yeah but yeah that kind of thing I think is like I mean I don't necessarily like these artworks but they're it's they just a complete shift don't power, they? yeah yeah. And, and Rhythm Zero is something that I just can't help but think about all the time um Another one is, well, what else pops mine? Um, 433 by John Cage. I've never actually seen that performed, and I think something is lost um, every time it's done almost. But basically, it's um, a composition, a musical composition, and, and I think it'll never be as powerful as it once was, or well, as it was the first time it was performed. But basically, um, a pianist or an orchestra just sit there in silence. And the music is the awkward shuffling and the and the oh, audience going, yes. what's going on? That yeah, is the composition. I like that. Um, it's different now that everybody knows that that's what the piece is because yeah. then it's, the awkwardness is
1: lost. See, that's very similar to the... Who was it who had the, the police officers all stood up? Was it Gillian Waring? I don't know what you mean. Oh, they were going to take a portrait of maybe, I don't know what it was, like 40 police officers all oh, stood right. on. Um, there was like some on the floor, some on a bench... I don't know, maybe two feet up and there's, mm. so there's three tiers of police officers oh, yes. all getting ready to take this photo and she just had them all she she asked them all to post for this photo and then just left it for like twenty <laughs> minutes or something. Oh wow. And you could and then but the artwork started when she said, Okay, that's it, thank you. Yeah. And then she just left it recording Yeah. And it was the disgruntled officers at the end who were sort of yeah, and lying out great. of having to waste their time. Sorry, don't interrupt. All right.
2: Um what else? Uh, Santiago Sierra's work is something so like say Marina vanich. I've written about that piece a few times, and Santiago Sierra is another one where he basically will exploit people for like minimum wage or, or less and then present that as an artwork and it's obviously that's heinous and horrible yeah but it illustrates I mean he's not making he's not making a direct didactic comment on that he's just exposing that he's just doing it um, and then that question. He then places that question in our minds when we see that, when we Mm. see someone being exploited. So say one of them, he hires um, migrant workers to just stand under cardboard boxes for like nine to five in a gallery. And I mean, I've never seen that in the flesh, but I'd imagine when you go there and you see this box and you know there's someone stood in it, you can't help but feel for that person in the box. And it's horrible. Is the
1: box covering them to the floor? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's like a, a refrigerator box. Yeah. Um... But that highlights to you in the most like powerful way how people are exploited like that every day, just well, by just
1: by being paid minimum it wage. It do, is shifting the exploitation yeah. in some some yeah. respects because although he's he's paying them to stand in that box for several you know yeah. several pence an, an hour, you're a party to it by yeah. going to watch it.
2: Yeah, and and that brings to the forefront in any viewer's mind how that same thing so one one thing that I interviewed um, Santiago a few years ago one thing although not in an interview with me one thing he did say was um, that so one of his artworks I think he was talking about this one there was he bricked up a gallery worker inside a room for three days and there was only one brick missing so they could pass him food um, and someone said like how can you do this no it wasn't that, actually sorry it was something else so it was it might have been the um the cardboard boxes thing or, or something. But basically, there was people in a gallery doing some very menial tasks, nine to five. And um, and someone said, how can you do this? This is horrible. Um, and he said, well, I'm paying them minimum wage. And you see there's a security guard sat down there, doing yeah. exact- well, stood down yeah. there, doing exactly the same thing for the same pay, but he has to stand up. Um, and yet, you're not complaining about that. So he highlights to people things that are going on everywhere around yeah, them they yeah. don't see um so he's another artist that just really like I think about all the time and i mean i essentially hate his work yeah
1: but it's, but it's so you, powerful it's that, it, yeah it's that power I yeah because hate like we were saying earlier about yeah. work you dislike it's more powerful yeah. than a work you do like absolutely you know?
2: yeah yeah it makes you very uncomfortable to think of his works but
1: it's I think that's kind of what I was about. When I'm trying to refine a piece at the moment, an idea that I had for you saying about going into a gallery, I was looking at um, making a cell inside a gallery for a a week. I mean, the the trouble I'm having is trying to be able to be in a a place 24 hours a day for for seven days. But me being in a, a prison cell in a gallery, there would be information outside saying about what I'd done and a little bit of history about me. I'm looking at having sort of like tick boxes or, or something of, of how I should be treated yeah. the following day. Should I have free hot meals? Should they yeah. be nice meals or. Oh, that's nice. Of, it's like the Stanford prison experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to that. I mean, they're, they're judging me on, on the person they see yeah. before them, but it's going to affect the person tomorrow. Yeah. Because the information that they're looking at, the, yes. the, sorry, the person that they're looking at and making a decision on, Will affect the person yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. So then, when they've made, if I say that my offence was uh, child molestation, for instance, mm. you know, the much it gets. More harshly, yeah, so it. they're going to yeah. treat me really harshly. But tomorrow, I may well be a female that has, you know, sort of murdered someone whilst I was being raped. Mm. You know, or, or whilst she, sorry, while she was being raped. So that's obviously a crime where people are a lot more lenient. But she will be paying the price of someone else yeah. tomorrow. And likewise, when they make their mind up, when they look at that female or that person, um, they're obviously going to be, be quite lenient on her. That will affect the person tomorrow. Yeah. And as I say, that's only in early stages at the moment. That's, that's the basis of it. Mm. But, um, yeah, trying to be in a gallery for 24 hours a day yeah. is, is the obstacle on, on finding it I'm it's doable. I'm sure it is i I'm sorry, I'm not talking about me.
2: Another thing that pops to mind, although I'm not sure I'd call it one of my favourite artworks, but just going on what you just mentioned, uh, I can't remember the artist or the institution, but basically there's, I think a female artist, she she was asked to do a, a show by a big institution-style gallery, not in this country, and um, she said, what's the budget? And they gave her a budget that um, was slightly more than basically the running costs of the gallery for a month. So she basically said, use that money everyone gets the day off. Oh, everyone nice. gets the month off, sorry. Nice. So the gallery was closed for a month. Like, all the, everyone, all the office staff, yeah. everything, they just had a month off. But they didn't, so basically, people came to see the exhibition, but the exhibition was that the door was locked. Yeah. And there was a sign it saying we're closed for a month.
1: Excellent. I wonder mean, yeah. how many people would have gone just to see that. I think all I probably
2: know? would. I probably would
1: have done. I mean, knowing that the, the door was going to be closed and I wasn't going to get in, but... So, what would that have been? Would that have been classed as a performance? Do you think? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, an intervention, maybe.
1: I like the idea of that. Mm, yeah, yeah, I do like playing with judgments and, like, like you were saying yeah, there, that the guy in the room highlighting, yeah, putting a parallel up.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard for me to get that excited or that kind of captured by a painting. Mm. I mean, I, there's a lot of painting I love absolutely, but um, the the work that I find most stimulating is conceptual yeah and and the work that i choose to write about is always kind of conceptual or do you think conceptually uh well when i'm approaching my own works i try as much as possible not to think about what i'm doing which kind of sounds odd but um i don't want to kind of intentionally imbue my artworks with any specific or definite meaning Mm. so like Although, obviously, I'm drawing a, a certain type of thing in a certain type of way, so obviously it's...
1: Is that why you ex- explain them as being decorative? Because you, you mm. try not to put too many visual layers.
2: Um, no, it's not necessarily that. It's just that basically I don't think, right, this is what this artwork's going to mean, and then draw that. So I basically draw what just freely comes out of my brain. Um, there's a great quote that I can't remember who it's buying. I can't remember who any of these quotes by that I'm saying, but um, basically says, like, an artwork has as many meanings as it has viewers. Mm. And I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So, And I think that anyone else's um, judgments on what my artwork means is as valid as mine. So I don't think that I have, I have the answer to what does one of my works mean any more than anyone else does, yeah. because it means yeah. everyone has their own kind of cachet of lived past experience mm. that influences how they interpret certain things yeah it's,
1: it's i mean we, so, all, we all have that in something visual or you know we all read a song in a different way absolutely
2: so so i it kind of try and keep my works as open as i possibly can i mean my works come out in a in a certain way and but that's just kind of the the vocabulary that i yeah. that i work with and that's not something i can necessarily change
1: but um i mean the the I was only, I was talking about this with in, with Mark Wallinger a couple of weeks ago, but the best art experience I ever encountered was. It was a bit hard saying to him. You know, a bit fanboy, but it was mm. at his show yeah. um, at Whitechapel when, I think it's two thousand and one, um, called No Man's Land, when he. I'm still in school then, so I did Oh, <laughs> he had, um, and again I'm I'm bad with titles. He had. Um, a film in the first in one room, and it was of just of him in. Well, it wasn't of him. He was in the cab of a circle line train, oh, so it right. just done sort yeah. of a, an entire lap, you know. Um, the next room was um, his TARDIS. All right. um, and oh, when he was in the first room, you could hear this um, sort of like orchestral or, or monk type mm, of music, yeah. you know, chanting in. In the background, you go into the next room, and it's that the music is even louder, the chanting, mm. and um, his TARDIS, It was in a perfectly square room, so you did see people entering the TARDIS, going yeah. invisible for a few seconds, yeah. and then coming out the other side. Um, and then the third room was um, an airport arrivals lounge, All right? And uh, uh, sorry, it was a, f- a film of an airport yeah. arrivals lounge and you're waiting in the lounge, and then all of a sudden the automatic doors open, and very slowly as well, and then people come walking through from their plane, holding luggage, and they'll be looking around, and some will be waving, like a slow wave, yeah. you know. And I saw that whole trio of artworks as hell, purgatory, and heaven. Mm. Hell, obviously, being it was underground, purgatory, because they was sort of nowhere, yeah. and these ones, and oh, and next, to these, next to this door was... Um, just a security guard, but I saw him as some uh, yeah. Peter yeah. next to the next to the gates, and I, I said to Mark, but, "But you know, that was the best experience I ever had with it being hell, purgatory, and heaven." And yeah. he went, "Hell, purgatory, and heaven." i have never thought of it like yeah. that, and I thought, "Fucking hell, this is the." <laughs> Like yeah. my favourite artwork that yeah. I've ever experienced, and I read it completely wrong.
2: Well, you didn't. You read but, it right. Uh,
1: yeah, I read it the way yeah. I read it, and it's still, even though I've heard it, I've thought about this since, I'm, since I since I had that conversation with Mark. It's still my favourite piece of artwork, and it's still in it will always be hell, purgatory, and heaven. Yeah, I think mind. I
2: think the best artworks are the ones that can be read in like, multifarious ways. I think when when something's too politically didactic it becomes propaganda Mm. so when when an artist makes something and he's like this is about this and it can't be read any other way then I think that's kind of gone a bit too far and it's like propaganda or unapplied art and it like say Guernica which is like a strong has a strong anti-war message it does it in a way I mean it displays the horrors of war but it doesn't say war is bad Yeah. so he even Guernica which is like often thought to be like a, a very strong political message he isn't actually saying war is bad. He's allowing the viewer to decide that for themselves. Obviously, he's helping them along that way, but he's, he's allowing them to read it however they might. Yeah. And I think they're the best artworks. Another really powerful artwork, actually, that springs to mind is um, called We're Here Because We're Here by Jeremy Della. It was done for, I think, the centenary of... Um, maybe the centenary of the start of World War I. But basically he hired thousands that was of actors wasn't yeah it? if people don't know he hired thousands of um, actors I think working with the national theater to dress up like mm. World War one soldiers and then put groups of maybe 20 or 30 in different locations in cities all around the country um, and they just they were tasked to just stand there and then every now and then they'd sing this song the lyrics of which were basically we're here because we're here and yeah. then at the end of it their brief was just to make a noise, so a lot of them screamed or shouted, and uh, there's a great documentary about that, and that's something that's really powerful because it's it talks about war, but in a very kind of human way, and not in a not in a um,
1: in a very definite and kind of anti-war way. Mm. Um, the, the guys who were there, what would they? What would you call them? Actors, or well, I think yeah, I think they were from the National Theatre. Because I know that they was also t- tasked, at least some of them, they were given a character, wasn't they? And oh right, they yeah. would explain themselves when yeah. people walked past. Oh, and yeah, say, people my name's yeah. Burt Bridges, you yeah. know, I was born in... Yeah. ...wherever in, you know, yeah. 1902 or...
2: Yeah. Because that, obviously, that makes you... I mean, if you see that, and, and and especially if they're telling you who they are, you you don't see these, like... You think of soldiers not as being these faceless you don't think of them as statistics or a, yeah. or a number in Especially the 100,000
1: you world see world war one we only see that in film black yeah. and white and normally we see some guys jumping over a trench yeah or um, it's kind of glamorised now yeah. it's so old yeah if you wasn't an artist what would you be? Um, well I mean
2: I kind of class writing as almost synonymous with being an artist so if I had to pick something completely different I mean, as strange as this may sound, I think some kind of manual labour I could kind of get, I mean, that's if if the question is like in an ideal world, what would you be? I don't know if I'd pick that, but I think I could happily do something like that. Um, If I wasn't doing this, I could
1: do just like, I don't know, build log cabins or something, I don't know. Well, we was watching TV last night, and there was some... Um, policemen on the floor, just they were like forensic officers, and they just going through more or less every blade of grass yeah. in a row. I said, "Oh, I could so do that. Mm. I could so just spend hours just sort of yeah. going through, looking for a fragment, you know." Yeah,
2: like being a being a spy or a detective, kind of it's kind of quite appealing, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I was a teenager, I had dreams of being like, well, to begin with, professional skateboarder. Um, and I was kind of good, but I was so I was good enough to think that I could become professional, but I was never good enough to become professional. Yeah. So I was, I was good enough to kind of have those dreams. Um, you still do it? No. So I mean, every now and then I'd go out. I mean, I still watch a lot of skateboard videos and stuff. But every now and then I go out and like I don't have. I feel like my brain feels like I can do everything that I used to be able to do, yeah. but then my legs just won't do it. Yeah. The muscle memory has kind of lapsed a little bit um and i just hurt myself now like i'm not as uh i mean if you fall over when you're like 15 16 you just jump straight yeah, back up again. Yeah. now it just feels
1: like the end of the world so do you get lost for a little while walking along the south bank at the uh yeah the things, things like that either? yeah or
2: if i see like i always notice
1: particularly smooth tarmac oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <coughs> or
2: like a perfect handrail down some steps
1: yeah, I was I was talking to someone and he was saying that he'd, he'd be walking along, and he could guess the noise that would be made from like oh yeah, bricks yeah. and stuff like you know, yeah. similar to what you're saying about yeah. the um, the sort of known noise on the tarmac. You yeah. know, you're just about to start the podcast, or you you've already started a few. They're not coming out. as you... When are they coming out? Several questions there in yeah. one um, line.
2: So we we're doing a Delphian podcast. Um, and we've recorded two so we recorded the first one's with Andrew Salgado which is amazing he's um, he's a great artist and also he's great at talking about art in a very in a very informal way which is quite nice um, so we just me and Nick went around to his studio just had a chat had some gin sonics and hung out um, the second one is uh, Rosalind Davis who is um, an artist but also oh, a curator right yeah yeah so that's she's the second and then we're going to release them probably in, um, in series, so we're going to do maybe six or eight, release them like every week or every two weeks. When's the first one coming up? Well, the, the initial plan was November, and then, and then we decided to do a solo show with Geordie Kirk in December, so we had to push it back. And then the plan is January, but obviously it's January now, um, and we've got the two-person show coming up in next week, and then we've got our, our two-person show in San Francisco the week after so it's likely that it'll get pushed back so we don't want to we don't want too many things going on at the same time so that things are lost and we also want to do it right so soon is the most definitive answer i can (laughs) give. but I would like it to be sooner rather than later just because I'm excited to get it out of there are you looking
1: at doing it in
2: series of what was it six or or eight is the kind of number that's kind of in our brains but that could obviously change but we're going to try and do it so we interview an artist, then a critic, then a gallerist, then a collector. Yeah, that's what I've tried yeah. to do,
1: and I've, I, the, 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 you know, I've got a bank of so many people now who have yeah. agreed. I've sort of made for a rub, rub for my own back for asking so many people. But
2: well, I mean, you'll never struggle to find. No, definitely name. not.
1: But yeah, you know, like you just said, I've just, I've just done a, a, a critic. I've got a, a, you know another gallerist lined up. I think it does need. More art podcasts out there. Yeah, speaking to there's everyone. There's that money around, isn't And I mean, I don't see it as competition. You know, like we oh, no, speaking not. about yours. Is it's like when I'm making artwork, I don't see like another artist. You know, you talk about another artist's work. Yeah. Um, I, I know some people are quite sort of not not in that that chain of thought. But there's, I mean, this this podcast medium. You know. I'm, People might listen to this. This is once a week, once every ten days. So yeah. there's there's room for yeah. You know, people, hopefully, yeah. It's not like a, a haircut, haircut
2: where you go for one every two months or something. It's yeah. People aren't going to listen to listen to their one podcast and they go right and done for the for the week. Yeah. So
1: yeah. I mean, I, I started. I only started this because when I was working in the studio, I I can't listen to music because that yeah. detracts me. And I, and I'll end up listening. I might listen to Pink Floyd f- yeah for the day. And I, I sort of find that mood starts appearing in my work, you know, yeah. or even if it's sold the next day, yeah. the work might be a bit different. So I ended up listening to sort of like Radio 4 or a talk based yeah. radio. Yeah. Then I got introduced to podcasts a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that was it. I, I sort of hardly listen to radio and music anymore.
2: Well, like what I was saying about my artworks, I try and think as little about the artwork as possible when I'm actually doing it. So often I'll have a podcast on or I'll have a documentary or a film or TV show or mm. something in the background that I'm kind of half focusing on so that I can give my mind the space to yeah. kind of just play around a bit. See, when you, well you
1: just said that about documentary, I could find that was the best thing, for, if I was indoors painting, mm. and I'd have to tell you, I'd have to have something on, if it's if it's quiet, I can't concentrate yeah, for oh, whatever too, reason, yeah. but I can have a documentary on And keep track of what's going on in the documentary while I'm working. Yeah, yeah. But I can't have a song in the background. Yeah. Because I sort of detract from that. So that's that's probably coming out... Probably Probably start of February-ish, or around there.
2: Well, I mean, February, uh, yeah, I I couldn't really say. As, As early as we can do it whilst also doing it right is when it'll come out. Within the next two, three months, absolutely. If not this month, which is the plan. Well, just make sure you press
1: record at the start. Like, like, I like you did uh... <laughs> Like I didn't do at the start of this one. <laughs> right, Benjamin, that's all my questions. All right, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, thank you. There you go, Benjamin Murphy. That was the first time we'd ever met, you know. We'd spoke on social media, but we'd never before met, and you wouldn't have thought so. A great bloke and a great artist. And as he mentioned there, the Delphian podcast will be coming out shortly, if it isn't out already. As soon as it does come out, I'll give it a mention on here to direct everyone over towards it. Just after we finished this podcast, I was talking to Benjamin about the Face Value show and explaining to him the feelings that the artists get when they donate an artwork to be handed over to another artist to be manipulated. It is quite a strange and intimidating experience. I also mentioned the pressure that's put on the manipulating artist. How although they've got the advantage to be doing what they like on the original artwork, their ego can be called into question. Because the viewer does judge how complimentary they have been to the donating artist. So Benjamin asked if he could be part of Face Value Free. So I said, yeah, what would you like to do? Donate or manipulate? And he asked if he could experience the feeling of both the donor and the manipulator. So of course I said yes. So like Ben last year, Benjamin will be helping the Katie Piper Foundation twice in one show. Good man. So that's about it from me. Make sure to go over to social media, look up Benjamin Murphy, look up Delphian Gallery and Nick Thompson for that mail. So as I say every week, wherever you listen to this podcast, on whatever platform... Could you please give a rating and leave a comment, if it's possible, on the platform you listen to? It really does help the podcast to grow. And as ever, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Ciao! Hold up.